don't know we have many children in here this morning, but I'd like to invite the kids to come back up front, if you would, please. And I have something I want to give you. You'll be really excited about this, I'm sure. Oh, there we go. Here we go. Right for you. No, stay right here. You're not going anywhere yet. You can sit down right there. All right. All right. Got two of you here. What do you think about some of these teens? Maybe they need to be involved. Oh, here we go. Now there's a few more showing up. Once they found out there's some money going out. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. There's one more. Here you go. You can sit right there. Okay, I want you guys to have these pennies. I'm going to include you guys on in the front row. Would you do that? This is like your last paycheck, right, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, these are shiny ones, too. Maybe not brand new. Okay. Now, I want each of you to have two pennies because I want to tell you something about a story from the Bible. And uh, you need these because they'll help you learn the story, okay, and help you learn the point of the story. If you look up on the screen, there are two small coins there, and these were like probably actual coins from when Jesus taught this lesson. Tiny little things, we would call them pennies, and the story you had in your coloring page, if any of you saw that today, was a story about the widow's might. Um, anybody know that story? Some of you know that story? Okay. What basically happened was that Jesus was one day at the temple with his disciples, and they were kind of sitting off under a shade tree and enjoying what was there, watching people come and go from the temple. And inside the temple area, there's this nice, ornate box, this carved box, and it was the offering box. And everybody would come up and they would drop their offering into this box. It wasn't like passing the plates like we do, or some churches had bags they passed down the row. They had this box, and everybody put their offering in there. And so for several hours, maybe, they're sitting there enjoying the day and kind of observing people come and go and drop in their offerings. All of a sudden, this very older lady, widow, came in, and she had two little coins like that. She came up, and she dropped those into that offering box. And Jesus said, do you see this woman that just gave her offering? She gave more than anybody gave the whole day. She gave more than anybody's ever given here. And the disciples were all scratching their heads like, what in the world? Yeah, how, how could these two little pennies be more than what everybody else gave? And Jesus said, it was because she gave all she had. She gave everything that she had to live on. She gave what she had for her next meal. So she didn't even know how she was going to get her next meal. She didn't know how she was going to pay her bills. She didn't know how she was going to provide for herself. So in the giving of it all, she not only sacrificed what she wanted to give generously and cheerfully to God, she also trusted God for her future. That somehow, even though she gave everything she had, he would provide for her. He would take care of her. And all of her needs would be met. Do you understand? And so Jesus was saying she gave more. The other people came in, they gave $50. They gave $100. They gave $1,000 because they could afford to do that. But she gave more than them because she gave everything she had to live on. 
and she gave with a smile on her face. She gave cheerfully, helping God any way she possibly could. Now, I want you to learn that lesson, and I've given you these two pennies. They're not worth very much, are they? Some of you have dollar bills. Some of you have $5. You may have 10 You may have more than that in your savings account or maybe in your piggy bank at home. So this doesn't represent very much money. But it's in your hand, isn't it? And it's in your hand to decide what you want to do with these two pennies. What I want you to do as you go back to your seat is find somebody to give them to. And as you go back to your seat, I want you to give your pennies away. And I want you to do that with a smile on your face that you're allowed to bless someone else. And I'll bet you what, when you give that penny to someone else, they'll smile. Mark and Abby Pratt, minister in Cleveland, Ohio. They've been there about four years. And uh, you can see their family pictured here. David is their oldest. He's a, a high school student now. And then up above to the right, uh, just beside Evie, is who? Jonathan. Okay, he's gotten pretty big. You're going to see him in the video. And then they have a new one that they've adopted. His name is Cameron. So we're excited for them. Listen to this video from them. It's about five minutes. Listen closely. Testing, 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 audio, testing, testing. Do a little audio testing first. It's a token entertainment. He's <laughs> fun to watch without anything else is going on there. Uh, a lot of antics, I'm sure. Uh, Mark and Abby moved into one of the rougher neighborhoods. If you know the movie, The Christmas Story, they live six doors down from that house where that movie took place. Uh, and it's a depressed neighborhood. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but we'll be seeing it Tuesday, Lord willing. And uh, uh, across the street was a drug dealer, found out, after they moved in. <laughs> so drug deals were regularly happening right across the street. Watch it out the living room window. There's another one. There's another one. And a lot of uh, neighborhood outreach where they have movies in the backyard, uh, Sunday nights, invite the whole neighborhood to come in, have a little cookout. So this goes on every time there's some good weather. Uh, and they've also talked about uh, taking advantage of the summer and things there. They recently, in the last year, merged with another small new church that had started up. And uh, they were both struggling in different areas, but they each had uh, strength that they could bring to it also. And they, they found out by partnering together they could do more. Uh, they've recently moved into a, a rented church facility. A lot of churches have shut down in Cleveland. There was no way to support them. And this had been a Catholic church. Now they use it all the time. They have classroom space. They have worship space. And uh, it's been a great blessing to them to be right in the community where they are and be able to meet within this building and have it... Uh, greatly reduced cost because they're just glad to have somebody in there using that building. I want to ask this morning, what can I give? Uh, that needs to be the question that all of us need to ask. I want you to think about that this morning. I want to look at a couple passages in 2 Corinthians, first the ninth chapter and then the 8th chapter if you want to start going there. And um, I want you to think about something. Like a, two weeks ago on Mother's Day, we talked about the law of the harvest said that there is a law, the law of the harvest. Does anybody remember what that is? You reap what you sow. Okay, everybody get that? You remember that? Whatever you reap in life is what you can sow. You can't go out there and, and sow one kind of seed and hope for a different kind of harvest from that. You're going to get what you put into it, in, in other words. 
And I want to start there this morning because Paul alludes to this again in uh, his letter to the Corinthian church. It's the second letter that we have, or probably four letters in all, but these two that are included in our New Testament. And in the ninth chapter, verse 6, he says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now it's not what you sow, but how much you sow. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Remember the pennies? The smile on the face? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Paul's saying whenever we give to the Lord, it's like sowing seeds. What kind of seeds? Well, seeds for the future, seeds for our faith, seeds of what we hope will happen in our faith and our relationship to God. If we give sparingly, we just put a couple seeds in there, then our faith doesn't grow. In fact, that faith may stagnate and die. You know, if you're not giving, if you're not giving back to God, what is there to your faith? Will it last? Will it develop? Probably not. But then Paul says, if we give generously, our faith is going to grow. And not only will it grow, but God's going to bless you. God's going to bless what you're doing. And he's going to take care of you. Take care of your needs, just like he did the widow. You know, she gave all that she had to live on, but she trusted that God would be there in the future. She put her faith in him. She put her stock in what he was doing in the world. And she said, you're going to be there for me because I'm here for you. I, I'm, I'm part of you. And so Paul says we will have, as we give generously, everything we need and even abound, which means overflow, in every good work. Now, why did Paul write this to these Christians at Corinth? It was because they didn't get it. It's because they hadn't received this message. They hadn't grabbed this message. This was not a giving church. It was a church that had not learned to give joyfully and sacrificially. And Paul's frustrated with them. In fact, there's a specific thing that had happened or not happened that he's upset with. He says, you remember that you promised that you're going to take up a collection to help the brothers down at Jerusalem. They're having problems financially. There's a famine in their region. They're starving. And so you agreed you'd help them out because it's going to take a while before they recover. And now, some months later, you still haven't taken that collection. You still haven't received that offering and made sure it got delivered to your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That's the occasion of this letter, among other things. And so Paul draws a contrast between them and some other churches he knows, particularly churches in Macedonia, which is up on the other side of Greece, uh, to the north and, and to the east, almost to the area where we would call it Turkey today. And, and uh, we want to go back from chapter 9 now to chapter 8. And he starts off by talking about the Macedonian believers in the first verse of chapter 8. He says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This would include churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Out of the most severe trial, 
their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints or to God's people. In Macedonia, especially in Philippi, Paul's brothers and sisters were begging him for the opportunity to give. And he resisted at first because he knew how poor they were. But he eventually consented. And they gave, and they gave, and over and over they did. They became his friends just a few years before this when he had, had received this call. Remember the book of Acts, chapter 16? And he got this vision of this man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so they went to Macedonia. They skipped a bunch of other places in between, and they arrived in Philippi. And there they established this small, fledgling church, first by meetings with some women on the bank of the river, and then after they were thrown in prison, after being beaten, then they won the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord, and from that, a nucleus started. And not too many months after that, Paul left there. Paul and Silas went on to Thessalonica and to Berea, and they started making their way down to Athens and to Corinth. And these believers, new believers, said, Can we help you? Can we contribute? Can we share in what God is doing in you? And what is remarkable is that the very time they were begging for this opportunity, they were poverty-stricken themselves. They needed everyone else's help, and yet they found a way to give. John MacArthur explained the reasons for their poverty in Philippi especially. Macedonia, he said, was severely impoverished. It had been a Roman territory for about 200 years. They had been treated cruelly by the Romans. They had been reduced to almost slavish relationships to Rome. Their resources confiscated. Their riches brandished. Also, for a number of years, a period of time, there were civil wars fought in their region between Caesars and other familiar military names like Brutus and Cassius, Antonius, and others. And the wars that they fought there in Macedonia had this impoverishing effect on the region. Your army comes through, they take everything, don't they? They don't ask. They don't pay for it. And this happened for year after year. And then he says the churches in Macedonia were also objects of persecution. So much persecution, so much poverty, that likely they were as poor as any church in the whole Gentile world. And consequently, they serve as the best example of generosity out of the deepest kind of poverty. So I want you to see a contrast between Corinth and Macedonia. These depict two different kinds of churches, and somewhere we're in the mix. We put these on the board, and we said Corinth on one side, Macedonia on the other, and we started li listing all of the characteristics of those churches. We would see ourselves one side or the other. You look at the Corinthian church, it's not a very pretty picture, is it? You ever read uh, the two letters to Corinth, uh, these were some carnal believers. They believed in God, they said that they followed Christ, and yet they were still living so fleshly. They were living so carnally minded. Not much had changed in their lives. It's just full of problems in this church. They tolerated sins of many kinds. They took each other to court. They took the Lord's Supper uh, in an unworthy manner, which means... They, they did it selfishly, they did it self-centeredly. One person would be gorged with food and then leave the person next to them with nothing. They're just, just not doing it the right way. 
uh, in giving their tithes and offerings to the Lord, they thought more about their own needs than about what God was actually doing. And so they gave carefully. They gave uh, uncheerfully. You know, just what I have to give. What, what someone else may expect me to give. And strangely enough, God was blessing them financially. The region. Corinth was a prosperous area. And you, you kind of think, well, why did God give it that way? Why did God make them so wealthy when they were lacking generosity? Whereas Macedonia and Philippi in particular are so poor, and yet they're very generous in their spirits. Well, we don't understand all of these things and why God does them. That Sometimes it happens that way. And what happened for the Corinthians was they thought God was approving, that God was blessing, that God approved of their lifestyle and thought it was perfectly okay for them to keep living mostly for themselves and not for God. Do we see any of ourselves under the heading Corinth? Macedonia or Philippi, the other hand, by contrast, were not being blessed economically. They were suffering hard times. And they saw a little hope for a turnaround. They were persecuted for their faith. They often were taxed and troubled by their own government. And yet, their heart is that they begged. They pleaded with the opportunity to give generously and sacrificially and joyfully to God's work in the world. What little they had, which wasn't much, it was like these two pennies, they freely gave and then trusted that God would provide whatever they needed. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says that the church had previously started gathering up this gift for Jerusalem. They still hadn't come through. And he holds them to task for this. He says, okay, it's time to do that. You promised it. You can afford it. Just give. And they eventually did deliver on that. But I don't think they gave that generously. Because they still didn't get this heart. By contrast, in a church of deep poverty, the Macedonian church, uh, often helped the Lord's work in other places. And when Paul wrote to them in, in the Philippian letter, chapter 4, he says in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Your gifts are like a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then he promised them, chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, they got it. They understood it. If you give, if you give generously, if you give sacrificially, if you give joyfully, God will take care of you. He will be there for you. You don't need to worry about the future. In fact, it's going to be a bright and glorious future because your faith is going to be growing. God is going to be blessing you, maybe not monetarily, but he will take care of your physical needs and you will see God work in your life like you never saw him work before. You cannot outgive God. You may not get wealthy being a Christian, but you might. You may not be blessed with a better job than you have now, or a better family than you have now. You may not be blessed in some of the material, physical ways that we might dream of being blessed, but God will enlarge your ministry. God will enlarge your life. He will enlarge your faith as you give joyfully and sacrificially and generously. We have the privilege again today to participate in God's work in the world by giving to the Cleveland, Ohio ministry of Mark and Evy Pratt. These gifts are more than cash. I'm not sure that this represents sacrifice. Jerry alluded to that earlier in the communion time. 
but it represents our hearts. It represents our willingness. It represents uh, the joy that we can have to share in ministry. If you've not participated, you've not been able to give yet, back to what's in the back of the room there, there's still time. We're not leaving till Tuesday. <laughs> so if you still want to contribute something, if you still want to buy something on that list, get it to us by tomorrow. We'll make sure that it goes also. But it's going to be an exciting day to drive up into Cleveland, to meet Mark and Evie in their house, their place of ministry, to see the drug dealer across the street, see all the things happening up and down their road, see all the foreclosed on homes, all the boarded up windows, to see church after church building that is shut down, to see a depressed uh, neighborhood and, and city trying to regroup, trying to grow, trying to deal with the political stuff that's going on, even the police brutality and, and indictments and, and verdicts coming back, all of that, and, and maintain calm and hope, and in that environment, tell people about the love of God. That, that's really what Mark and Abby are doing. By befriending people, by spending time with them, they are constantly trying to let people know that God cares. He sees. He understands. And he can lift you up and help you deal with the situation, with the circumstances you've been given. By giving these things to Mark and Evie, we are patterning ourselves, not after Corinth, but after Macedonia. And we are saying, God, you know, we're willing to go this far. We're willing to step out this, this much. We're willing to give with this attitude. But in that is the prayer for the future. That we trust God for the future. We trust God for our basic needs. We trust God that he's going to grow faith within us and we're going to become more faithful. And we're going to become more generous. And we're going to become more sacrificial. And we're going to be more cheerful in our giving as he grows this faith within each of our hearts. As we give, we trust him with other opportunities. Some we don't even know what they are yet. Two of our members are over in Liberia today. They're checking out churches. They're looking for ministry opportunities for the future. Prosper and Victoria have just returned from Ghana where they did the same thing while he was there working on his uh, graduate program. There are opportunities that God has just started to make known to us, but he needs a church here that's more like Macedonia than in Corinth. And we decide which kind of church we're going to be. We're going to lift up Mark and Evie in prayer. And what I want to invite you to do now is just stand up with me and we're going to make a prayer circle all the way around this room. 